0: Yeah, so great. So we're going to be going over more stuff uh, tonight. This is a continuation from Tuesday. If you missed that, it's uh, already uploaded on a podcast to listen to and then uh, almost have the video uh, done editing with uh, slides to watch and follow along uh, with the scriptures and sources that way. Uh, so you can you can catch up. Excite- Such an exciting, a fun, and interesting topic, the end-time servant, the Davidic servant last uh week on tuesday uh i tried to give a barrage of sources couldn't cover all of them even and we're not even going to be able to tonight but what i wanted to do was spend a little more time going a little more deeply into some of them and it will take up the time pretty quickly just doing a handful uh but it's so fun it's so fascinating it's so cool uh to consider that the Lord is going to raise up a mighty and strong one, a powerful servant that will that will act as his arm of mercy to gather his saints to protect his people in the end times. Uh, but there's so much stuff that you'll want to dive in. I highly encourage you guys to look at it. But it is particularly exciting, not only for uh, the world, those who would uh, be saved and come unto Jesus, but for the Latter-day Saints who already know and love Joseph Smith, who... Uh, I showed last week and will continue to show tonight, uh, looks to be that end time servant, that Davidic servant. There is uh, much evidence and even proof for it, but you are going to find a lot of differing opinions on this subject, including that which I said last time, which is people um, think that it's Jesus Christ. And there is great reason for that. Okay, so there is great reason for people to think it's Jesus Christ, and we looked at some of that last week. A lot of verbiage that points to it. Okay. And we looked at uh the different resources that um that point to uh, uh how it's how it's Joseph Smith. Hang on, hang on i'm just having a quick technical thing hang on okay so i'm going to share
1: there we go start present so
0: as as we go, this I'll try and toggle back and forth to bring my face full screen. However, as the as the live listener, you can also toggle that way by double clicking on my video or anyone else's image, and it will pull it up. So if I'm giving commentary and I haven't switched back yet, uh, you're you're welcome to do that so that so that my face isn't so small. Just just a little FYI. Okay, intro to the end time servant, the video servant. Part two, a servant for the end times. So we're going to look at some references here. Righteous branch. We didn't get to this last time, Ze- uh, Zechariah 3, 7 to 10. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, and thou shalt also judge my house, keep my courts, I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Here now, o Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I've laid before Joshua. Upon one stone shall be seven eyes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Let's go to another one. We have Zechariah 6, 12, 13, or you can look at 9 through 15 for an extended reference. Speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build. The temple of the Lord. So this is one thing that we looked at last time through other scriptures, including the testimony of Lamb and White, etc that this end time servant will be the one to head up the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. So some people say, well, the branch is Jesus. Well, it doesn't quite work, and we're going to see why. um Whoops, well, that was just a repeat. So here's Isaiah 11, verse 1. We can actually look at 1 to 5. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So right here with this pronoun him, him who? The branch, which is also capitalized, interesting enough, in the Isaiah Institute translation by Avram Gileadi. He translates the word branch to plant, but same thing. The branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the branch. Again, all of these scriptures, we always have to remember that it makes one giant, large context. They all have to be taken in context. If we start compartmentalizing all of them and separating them from each other, we're taking away the overall meaning. So here we are going to take a look at Doctrine and Covenants, section 113, which addresses these verses. Who is the stem of Genesis he's spoken of in verse 1? Well, that's christ okay well how about what is the rod spoken of and we've got uh that this is this is where the branch comes from it is a servant in the hands of christ who is partly a descendant of jesse uh, as well as a as well as Ephraim, or house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. So again, we get this theme of power coming over and over again. And interestingly, here is a quote by Bruce R. McConkie. Are we amiss in saying that the prophet here mentioned is Joseph Smith, to whom the priesthood came, who received the keys of the kingdom, who raised the enzyme for the gathering of the Lord's people in our dispensation, is he not also the servant in the hands of Christ, probably descendant of Jesse as well as these from, or the house of Joseph on whom there is laid much power. What we just read those whose ears are attuned to the whisperings of the infinite will know the meaning of these things. The interesting thing is uh, Bruce R. Kahnke did not uh, understand or recognize necessarily that uh, Joseph will be coming back uh, because an order for joseph to be this servant in isaiah 11 as he testifies and he verily is uh he has to be in an end time context because the book of isaiah all 63 chapters will be fulfilled in the end times they have not uh, been fulfilled yet types of them have been fulfilled as we've discussed but they haven't completely been fulfilled uh, again, more on branch, uh, we have Isaiah four two, and that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and through the earth shall be excellent and coming for them, or escape of Israel, or Jeremiah 23, which we looked at this last time, look at it again, behold, the days come, and this is a, Jeremiah 23 is all an end time uh, chapter the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment. Well, now we're going to tie into all of this, uh, uh, this passage from 2 Nephi 3. Uh, we looked at this last time. We're going we're to expand it a little more and go a little bit deeper. So starting in verse 5, 75, 3. Wherefore, Joseph of Egypt, Joseph of Egypt truly saw our day, Lehi is saying to his son Joseph. And he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins, the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. It's really easy to read that phrase and think of it referring to a people because there are plenty of phrases in which the branch refers to a people and not a person. However, the rest of the context of this verse and the following two verses helps us see that this branch is a person because he says not the Messiah. So now we're talking about a person, but a branch be broken off and blessed to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord, that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days. Now we have last days context in the spirit of power. There's that power motif again. Unto the bringing them out of darkness, yea, out of hidden darkness, and out of captivity unto freedom, which we were looking at last time. The Lord would raise up a man like unto Moses. d 103. Let's continue. For, so when we, see, when we see this type of terminology, for, it's a continuation of the previous uh, theme or context. For, Joseph truly testified, Joseph of Egypt truly testified. Another, so this is like an in other words, moment of verse five, and it's important to see that so we make the connection. Uh, if we miss these connections, you start missing meaning of the scriptures and you can start to rest them as Alma says or or mix them up or interpret them incorrectly. Verse six is a continuation of the subject of verse five, and the word four makes that clear. It's important to get the syntax and and the in the semantics, in, in the grammar. For Joseph truly testified saying, a seer. So this branch is a seer. Shall the Lord my God raise up, who shall be a choice seer under the fruit of my loins. And then he reemphasizes it. "Yea," and that's a reemphasis. "Yea," Joseph truly said. So that phrase is a reemphasis. So Lehi is trying to make clear who and what he's talking about. "Yea," Joseph truly said. Thus saith the Lord unto me, a choice here will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. Uh, and unto him will I give commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren, which shall be a great work unto them, even to bring unto them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. So we have here... We have here the uh, verses right before what we were reading last time which was uh verses 9 10 and 11 out of second nephi and all the way to verse 15 is a prophecy regarding joseph smith all right and and we already looked at the those other verses last time so now we're just looking at the verses right before to see some of this verbiage, like the branch All right. And how it connects into Isaiah. So we have multiple connections into, the, into Isaiah that place Joseph as the servant. And, and we've looked at some last time. Now we're adding some more. And it's important to understand that because the entire book of Isaiah has not been fulfilled yet. Only types of it have been fulfilled. But the vision and the prophecy of Isaiah have not been fulfilled yet. They're about to begin. If you don't believe that, that's okay, uh, but I'm going to challenge you to, to look into it. And and uh, Avraham Gileadi's work and the works of others uh, who have followed in his footsteps can, have shown that and have proven that. with. And those who are detractors to that work, um, well, I'll just say, me personally, those who are detractors to his work haven't shown the same credibility uh, that he has he brought to the table. So those who disagree with him don't bring credentials wherewith to disagree with him. Does that make sense? Like he he lays it out so thoroughly. I, I challenge you to take a look at that. I just wanted to take a break to say, listen, Isaiah is so important. It's hard to just be talking about all the time unless you have a background. So you can access uh, the Isaiah Institute translation done by Avraham Gileadi for free on IsaiahExplained.com. Uh, and he's got a lot of commentary on there for free. He's also published uh, 10 books. He's just—he's just, There's a lot of resources out there to to help in that regard. So I just wanted to make that plug on the side. Okay, back to, back to what we're looking at. So here, I do want to cross-reference one more time. Uh, Doctor and Covenants, what we looked at last time. Section 103. Verse 15, 16: Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of must needs come by power. Here it is again. That same motif, <laughs> the arm of the Lord, <laughs> power. Okay. Uh, verse 16, the next verse. Therefore, and, and there it is again, therefore, because it needs to come by power. I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. And that links back up with verses 9 and 10 in 2 Nephi 3 that we looked at, which, uh, read again. I didn't put those verses on, on the slide, but I'm just going to read them again. Second Nephi 3, 9 and 10. And he... This same seer that we just read, 5, 6, and 7, and he shall be great like unto Moses. There it is. Moses, whom I've said I would raise up unto you, and that's the parenthetical, and then back to the seer, to deliver my people the house of Israel. Again, it's important to realize that the last part of that verse is referring to the seer that's going to be great like unto Moses, and not to Moses, because verse 10 is about how Moses delivered the people of Israel. and here. I want to point out something interesting that Isaiah points out. And it's really subtle. This is from verse 9 and verse 10. And he, the choice seer, shall be great like unto Moses to deliver my people, O house of Israel. Look at verse 10, the slight difference. And Moses will I raise up, says Joseph of Egypt, to deliver thy people out of the land of Egypt. Why is Joseph of Egypt saying my people and thy people? Why? Why? Isn't Israel God's people? Why wouldn't he say my people both times? When you ask yourself that question and you dig for the answer, the answer is in Isaiah. It's actually throughout all of scripture, and and it's in the doctrine of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not God's people until we have received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, we do not receive Christ's name until that moment. It's important to understand that we have to enter into covenant to be God's people and truly offer a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Until we do that, we are not God's people. When Moses delivered the children of Israel, they were not under covenant. That's why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were hard-hearted. We see that in in Doctrine and Covenants section 84. Uh, the Lord uh, makes that clear. So, in verse ten, when Moses was on the scene as a temporal Messiah to the house of Israel, he the people that of the house of Israel were not God's people yet, and so they were Thy people. They were Moses's people. They weren't. They weren't God's people. But look at verse nine, when this seer, who he clarifies in verse fifteen as Joseph Smith Jr. In verse 9, when this seer shall work this work, as verse 8 mentions, when he shall be great like unto Moses, to deliver my people. This is referring to a deliverance that is like to Moses, leading them on an exodus, delivering them out of captivity, which we just read, to deliver them out of captivity. Uh, Which is, uh, that was from verse 5. He already said he's going to deliver him out of captivity. Verse 9 says it's going to be just like unto Moses. So it's going to look like Moses. Section 103 of the Doctrine and Covenant says. I'll raise up a man like unto Moses to deliver you out of captivity. Out of bondage. There's all this juxtaposition between this end time servant and Moses. Joseph Smith and Moses. And also Jesus Christ and Moses. I'll raise up unto you a prophet that shall be like unto Moses. And that prophet will be the Messiah. So. We constantly have through scripture, through Isaiah, right here, Dr. Covenants, we have all of these comparisons to each other. So when this seer comes on the scene and delivers the Lord's people, uh, it will be, uh, they will be considered the Lord's people in the technical sense, the technical sense. Because the house of Israel is the Lord's people, but in but in the technical sense, they will be under covenant. They will be those who are offering up a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and receiving the baptism of Father the Holy Ghost, receiving that spiritual adoption of Jesus Christ Himself. It's important to understand that every single person, every Latter Day Saint, every Christian must understand that if you want to qualify for deliverance, that is the formula, and so I need to spend this moment to emphasize that it does no good for us to learn about this end time Davidic servant if we do not do what is necessary to be uh, saved by him. And he is the arm of the Lord to save us. So, if you want to be saved by the Lord, you got to be saved by this end time servant. If you want to be saved by this end time servant, you got to be the people of the Lord. If you want to be the people of the Lord, you got to offer up a broken hearted spirit and enter into that covenant with him. It's that important. And you'll see that motif all throughout Isaiah, especially the juxtaposition of thy people versus my people. You see that all the time in Isaiah. All right. Okay, moving on. Uh, Let's take a look at uh, JST Genesis 50, where this is coming from. I'm going to share this back on the screen. Okay, JST, Genesis 50. So prior to verse 25 is the prophecy about Moses coming to deliver the people. And starting in verse 25, we start getting into the prophecy from Joseph of Egypt about uh, Joseph Smith. Now this parallels 2 Nephi 3, but there's just slight differences. And we talked about that last time where Lehi is reading out of the brass plates. He has the more complete version than we have in the JST. And it shall come to pass that they shall be scattered again, and a branch shall be broken off and shall be carried into a far country. So this part, this branch reference, is not referring to that servant. Clearly, this branch is referring to Lehi, etc. Into a far country, nevertheless, they shall be remembered in the covenants of the Lord when the Messiah cometh. Here it is. For he shall be made manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit of power. So it's referring to how he's going to be manifest to them. And shall bring them out of darkness into light, out of hidden darkness, out of captivity, into freedom. There it is again, out of captivity. So we saw that in verse 5. And so here's here's the, here's the link to verse 6. A seer shall the Lord my God raise up, who shall be a choice seer unto the fruit of my loins. Thus saith the Lord God of my fathers unto me, a choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. And he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren. And he shall bring them to a the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers, and he shall do whatsoever work I shall command him. And we saw that phrase in the patriarchal blessing from Joseph Smith Sr. to Joseph Smith Jr. And I will make him great in mine eyes. There's some of that word linkage again. Great. For he shall do my work, and he shall be great like unto him whom I've said I would raise up unto you to deliver my people, in the house of Israel. So he's going to be great like unto Moses. So we have these, we see this in. Verses 5 through 10 of Second Nephi 3. It's really similar to these verses here. And that's because this is what Lehi is reading out of. He's just reading a better, more precise version. For a seer will I raise up to deliver my people out of the land of Egypt. And he shall be called Moses. And, and by this name he shall know that he is of thy house. For he shall be nursed by the king's daughter and shall be called her son. And again, a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. So again, referring to. This other seer, but also again, meaning again later. He's coming again because Joseph comes the first time and then he comes a second. And again, a seer will I raise up out of thy loins, fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give power. There it is again to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. And not to the bringing forth my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them in the last days. This is referring. This is referring to that word of God that came forth uh, during the last days, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants. When he comes again on the scene, he will bring forth uh, the complete Book of Mormon. We're talking the sealed portion, etc., and those records uh, which Nephi clarifies in chapters uh, 13, 14, 15 of 1 Nephi, uh, which is the complete record uh, that should have been the Bible, the brass plates, the Complete record of the 12 apostles, which we don't have, etc. And this phrase right here, the convincing, the convincing, that's the power he's going to come with. And Isaiah says he's going to come with that power, that convincing power of the Holy Ghost, to convince them of those things. Okay. Next verse, wherefore, the fruit of thy line shall write, the fruit of the lines of Judah shall write. And uh, that shall be written by the fruit of thy loins and also by the fruit of the loins of Judah. Shall grow together into the confounding of false doctrines, laying down of contentions, establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, and bringing them to a knowledge of the fathers in the latter days. Now, this context, again, latter days, is not referring to the 1830s and 40s. It's referring to the final days. And also to the knowledge of my covenant, saith the Lord. And here it is. Out of weakness shall he be made strong. So. So the mighty and strong one. In that day, when my work shall go forth among all my people, which shall restore them who are the house of Israel in the last days. There it is again. That work is the work of the Father, the marvelous work and wonder. And Jesus specifies, and in Third Nephi, and Nephi specifies in First Nephi that that does not happen until the final days. Okay, it didn't start happening. Uh, during the 1830s and 1840s. It was the groundwork, the foundational work, and Nephi makes that very clear. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants makes that clear, but just through 1st Nephi and 3rd Nephi alone, it clarifies that marvelous work and wonder. Also, the fact that Isaiah talks about it, and all of Isaiah's vision is an end-time vision. Verse 33, and that seer will I bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. There's another theme there that runs through a lot of these scriptures, end quote. For this promise I give unto you, for I will remember you from generation to generation, and his name shall be called Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father, Joseph. And he shall be like unto you, for the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand to bring my people unto salvation. Okay, so now, oh, before I go into this next slide, I want to just touch really briefly on 2 Nephi 3. It's important to to point this out because there are those who uh, read 2 Nephi 3 and no offense meant to any of you or any of them, but they do misinterpret it by reading that Lehi is telling his son Joseph in a couple of random verses that there's going to be this other seer that comes up that's going to be... From his loins, Lehi's loins. This a Manasseh, you'll see this Indian prophet prophecy, and it comes out of 2 Nephi 3. Well, by reading 2 Nephi 3 and understanding clearly the context and and of all the verses from beginning to the end, it's not possible, it's not how it reads. Okay, so if you look at it, you have right from the beginning. Starting in verse five, as Lehi is Lehi's telling his son Joseph, I'm going to read to you this prophecy from our father Joseph of Egypt. So he starts and he goes into it. Well, he's focusing, he's focusing on Joseph Smith. He makes the references to Moses, and as we see in JST Genesis 50, uh, Joseph of Egypt starts off by going uh, through the prophecy of Moses, but Lehi is focusing on Joseph Smith, and he goes and goes and goes until verse uh, 15. All talking about the same person. It's not talking about different people. Anyone that you hear say that verses 5 through 15 talks about multiple people, it's only one person. And that's the rule of context. The rule of context, you can't disobey the rule of context because you rest the scriptures when you do that. What do I mean by that? I mean that Lehi is just reading this prophecy that's a prophecy of a person that's coming, and it's Joseph Smith. And the subject from verse to verse doesn't change because. Joseph of Egypt didn't write in verses. Lehi didn't speak in verses. It's just one thing. It's just talking. And you're not going to change from sentence to sentence the subject. That doesn't make sense. So when we get to verse 15 and it said, and he shall be called after me, Joseph of Egypt says, so he'll be called Joseph. And so his father's name be called that. So we know it's Joseph Smith. So verse 5 to 15, Joseph Smith. And then he talks uh, briefly about uh, Moses. And then he comes back to the same prophecy, and then he finishes these words uh, in verse 22. He says, now this is how Joseph uh, prophesied, verse 22. And then verse 23 to 25, people say, oh, well, look at 24. This is where he's talking about uh, someone else. No, that doesn't make sense. Lehi says, okay, Joseph, my son, I just read to you that prophecy. And so here's three verses that summarize what I just said verse 23, wherefore, because of this covenant, thou art blessed. What covenant? The covenant that God would send a man to rescue the seed of Lehi. He said, I will send someone and they will rescue them. That's the covenant. God promised that he wouldn't leave uh, the Lamanites and the seed of Nephi mixed in with the Lamanites. He wouldn't leave them to, to just be forever in darkness. He's like, I will send someone to rescue them. So because of that, thou art blessed, for thy seed shall not be destroyed, for they shall hearken to the words of the book, which that seer shall bring forth. And there shall rise up one mighty among them. So that phrase it will often trip people up, saying, Oh, among them meaning among the seed of 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 Lehi of Joseph. Therefore, it must be a Lamanite. No, Nephi points out very clearly in First Nephi 13, 14, 15 that these Gentiles are among the Lamanites and that they scourge them and smite them and scatter them. And Joseph was one of these Gentiles among them. And he rose up, shall do much good, both in word and in deed, bringing an instrument in the hands of God with exceeding faith to work mighty wonders and do that, which is great in the sight of God. And it's going to happen again. He's going to raise him up again. One mighty, mighty and strong. So, so those verses summarize, bringing it back to Joseph. And it applies to Joseph's entire mission, which we showed last time. Joseph's mission was to be able to restore all things, which got uh, cut short. So he's coming back to finish that. So that is uh, my explanation on 2nd Nephi 3. It is thorough. It is accurate. So take a close look at it. If you have that idea about the um, the Indian prophet, because that's not... if. If they're pulling that out of a different prophecy somewhere else, okay. That's cool because I'm not saying there can't be an Indian prophet, but to say that Second Nephi 3 is pointing to uh, this Lamanite prophet is not accurate, okay? So now we're going to uh, change gears for a moment to look at some other cool references. So the Holy Ghost connection with the end time servant, we're going to go back. To Isaiah 11, which is uh, where we looked at a a few minutes ago. Right here at the start of the chapter, right where we were. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him that branch. This, This end time servant, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Look at that. Those verses sound very much like Christ, by the way. Uh, We have, with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. So let's look at uh, another verse that has these same uh, links of words. So we're we're connecting the Holy Ghost. Look at John 16, 7 to 8. Jesus talking about the Holy Ghost. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So we were just comparing and underlining those same words from that last passage. And look here, Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is one of these servant chapters that we were talking about last time. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably, or words of comfort, to Jerusalem and cry unto her. That her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double for her sins. So we have, interestingly, here some word links and phrase links uh, between the Comforter and uh, this end-time servant in chapter 11 and chapter 40 of Isaiah. Now, it's going to sound very much like Christ, because the Holy Ghost, being a member of the Godhead, is going to perform the work of God. Right, so that makes sense. Well, looking into it a little bit further, Isaiah 51, again, the servant chapters. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. So this is the voice of the Lord talking to O arm of the Lord, which is the servant. He represents the arm of the Lord. Awake, look at this, awake as in ancient days in the generations of old and then he goes on to talking about the time of moses interestingly enough again the connection to moses art thou not in aren't are it or he that hath cut rahab this is um uh referring that's a that's an egypt um parallelism rahab egypt and wounded the dragon pharaoh art thou not it or he which hath dried the sea the red the Red Sea, the waters of the great deep that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over. And notice, interestingly, that that is also in Second Nephi 8, where Nephi is trying to show what's going to happen in the last days as he's trying to give the rest of his vision that he wasn't able to tell. Isaiah 63, 8 to 14, we have more of this. For he said, For he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed I'll move this oh, sorry. Uh, He redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. And it goes on. We start seeing the same verbiage again. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him that led? them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm. There it is again, dividing the water before them to make himself an everlasting name that led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness, that they should not stumble as a beast goeth down to the valley. The spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou, So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. So through these verses, we have these comparisons in Isaiah of the servant to this power that is hinting at being the Holy Ghost that was with Moses, that was that power that dried the sea, that helped uh, bring past those plagues and carve up Egypt to help free the people, to lead them. Moses physically led them, but the Spirit of God was before them, leading them. That's This language is saying, you wake up, you were that person. So we're going to look at here, a sermon recorded by Franklin D. Richards on 27th of August, 1843. Joseph Smith, this is from Joseph Smith. Joseph also said that the Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, he may pass through the same or a similar course of things that the Son has. We're going to look at the footnote here in a second, but we need to discuss this. Joseph According to Franklin D. Richards, Joseph said that the Holy Ghost is now, meaning at the time. On the 27th of August, 1843, the Holy Ghost at that time is in a state of probation. Uh, This this causes a lot of interesting discussion. And so I want to spend a moment to make sure that we're clear on it. We're going to look at the footnote because the footnote brings up uh, some potential controversy. But if we look at it through all of the context of all of this stuff, The footnote is going to make sense. We're looking at it in a second. But but first, I've highlighted here, um, in a state of probation, uh, those that I've talked to about this quote will say, well, a state of probation means, and then they start defining the term as our dictionary defines the term. And that makes sense, except when it comes to scriptures, now this is a sermon from Joseph Smith, but when it comes to scriptures, you got to be careful when you're using a dictionary and not using the scriptures. This is what I mean by that. the The term "state of probation" or "probationary state" is only used some nine or ten times in the scriptures, and every time they're used, they have a very specific context. And here is that context. I pulled up here because it's not that many scriptures. So there's the book, Words of Joseph Smith by Joseph Smith, compiled by uh, Andrew F. Ehat and London, Lyndon Cook. But look at this every single reference in all of the scriptures that mentions the word probation at all at any time, if the word probation comes up, these are it. This is all you'll find, or probationary state. So, state of probation or probationary state equals a mortal probation or mortality, a mortal state. Every single one of those, we don't have enough time to read every single one of those references, but that's what all of those references are. Every single one of those references. So you would have to you'd have to think, and I believe it's safe to assume that Joseph Smith, especially by 1843, who's had so many visions uh from the heavens at this point, not just the ones that are recorded, but he he points out very clearly that that, that person who is had the second comforter has the privilege of receiving instruction from Jesus Christ and the Father uh, frequently uh, throughout their life. So understanding that Joseph is at that level of spiritual intelligence, that he's going to use a phrase that has a completely different meaning than every single reference of that phrase in all of scripture that makes no sense and it again violates the law of context. So so don't do that. Don't do that. When Joseph said the Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation, he means the Holy Ghost is now alive on the earth. Who on the earth during Joseph Smith's lifetime could have possibly qualified to have been the Holy Ghost at any time prior? Only Joseph Smith. Give me another candidate. Give me another candidate who was alive at that time. Nobody. And if you say, well, how, how could the Holy Ghost be on the earth while also being the Holy Ghost? Well, it's understanding that the Holy Ghost is is a calling or an office, meaning that he didn't have to be it all the time. In fact, in the Isaiah references, it's pointing to the days of Moses, so not even certain it, that he was necessarily officiating in that assignment from the beginning all the way until he came down to earth. But that he for sure at least did, at least Joseph's hinting at it. It's like, well, how come he didn't just come out and say it? Well. Why not? Indeed, we'll take a look at that in a second. But first, we'll look at this footnote. Um, oh, sorry. Hang on. Here's the footnote. George Lodge's report of a different sermon, sixteen June eighteen forty four, includes a similar statement but it is different look at this but the holy ghost is yet a spiritual body and waiting to take waiting to take to himself a body as the savior did or as god did or the gods before them took bodies now this is the following is the uh compiler's note comparing the two he says he says franklin richard's account is less vague and represents the clearest statement on the personal identity of the Holy Ghost, so even the author or compiler of this work, which is the words of Joseph Smith, is hinting at very, uh, in, well, it's it's indirect, but he's it's still kind of direct. He's, he's saying, well, he's Joseph is pointing out the identity of the Holy Ghost. It's himself. Okay. So that's uh, page 249. So so, uh, Andrew E. Had, Lyndon Cook, that's their statement. But you guys can judge. I'll let you judge. But I will read this interesting quote by Joseph Smith. Would to God, brethren, I could tell you who I am, exclamation point. Would to God I could tell you what I know, exclamation point. But you, the saints, would call it blasphemy. You, the Lord's people, would call it blasphemy. And there are men upon this stand who would want to take my life. Interestingly, that parallels many instances in Christ's life, including right here at the end of his life during his uh, trial, his, his unlawful trial before the Sanhedrin. Mark 14, and again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, what need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Oh, Oh, I wasn't sharing my screen, my apologies, let me do that again. So here is that quote. Joseph is, I mean, you can, you, I can, I personally can feel and sense that, that, that strain in his spirit, in his heart as he's making this. Okay. And then, and then compare that to just this one instance. And this happened, this happened more than once in Jesus' lifetime. We know. Okay. If Joseph were to say openly to the saints, I am a I am or was or have been whatever a member of the Godhead I have acted in that capacity he's like you'll call it blasphemy just like when Jesus said he was a member of the Godhead and they called it blasphemy and people would try and kill me just like they sought to kill Jesus anytime he said that and notice in both instances it was in front of the Lord's own people those who should be able to recognize those who should be able to recognize. He who have eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, right? Got to be able to discern. So we have all these things pointing to it. I'll let you be the judge. But as you're being the judge, don't compartmentalize and take this reference that's clearly linked to this reference by all the words and phrases in it and totally separate them. You're, you're resting the scriptures and violating that rule of context where all of these things are meant to link together so there's an interesting mystery that you know is is that a thing there's a lot more there's a lot more references that will also hint to that i'm just trying to point out some of them okay moving on okay so joseph smith as the one so we're gonna look at some quotes here this comes from minutes from the Council of Fifty in 1844. And there's a link to Joseph Smith Paper's project. So W.W. Feltz goes on to prove from the scriptures that President Joseph is the man chosen of God to bring to pass the establishment of the kingdom of God. Okay, what is this referring to here? Uh, this is just an excerpt, but we showed a little bit last time and, and continues to show as you study the end times uh, prophecies, the marvelous work and a wonder, um, as well as uh, the end time servant, etc. that this kingdom of God is that kingdom which shall be set up in the last days in the end time context. So, so it's not the celestial order of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's that's not it. So it wasn't, it wasn't the church that was already set up. And in fact, the very context of all these quotes that we're going to read from this meeting shows that. And I, and I, it's too long. I would have pages. But when you read it, it they are they are all speaking of something that they see and hope to happen in the future. And and from their mouths and, and understandings, it's they are thinking it's the very near future. And in fact, Joseph himself even seemed to think or hope that it was in the near future for his lifetime. And it wasn't until right in mid to later June when he uh, is trying to escape with Hiram to the Rocky Mountains. And Emma sends him the letter. And she reports to him that his friends are calling him a coward for leaving them. And he realizes that he's going to go back and turn himself in that he knows he's going to die. And at that moment is when Joseph starts to understand that he has to come back because he already knew it was his job to bring all of this stuff to pass. He already knew it. We looked at a lot of those references last time. We looked at even more tonight. Joseph knew that. And he he was here in this meeting, this Council of 50. Joseph is there. He's not, he's not shutting up W.W. Phelps. And the other guys who are also going to testify to the same thing, he's not saying, hey, you're wrong on that. It's not me. No, it is him. And he knew it. He knew it. Okay, moving on. Same meeting, now Elder Rigdon arose to give some reasons for the course he had taken in relation to this last kingdom, this last order of heaven, this last order of government, etc. That will ever take place. He is well aware that there are some things necessary to enable any man, however competent, to realize the importance of this subject. There are certain things necessary to be observed to uphold any reflecting mind in this thing. He can see that according to the highest light and evidence that we have, one question is settled. That is that the earth is fast approaching its dissolution, this day of judgment there were things in relation to this world that must approximate to the crisis now approaching doctrine covenant section one pointing to all of that continuing he understood the great jehovah to be the god of the whole earth its founder and author etc and he never would rest until he had accomplished his purposes in relation to it god looked down upon the nations of the earth as a father looks upon his children He saw one of his children trying to rule another, inventing systems of religious government, etc., trying to gain power and ascendancy over one another. But he had decreed that he would put an end to such an order because he loved them and establish a government so exalted in its principles as not to permit of corruption. However, the world may have looked upon us. They will view us in a very different light. Continuing they will view us as the only persons in possession of the pure principles of wisdom and intelligence God designed that we should give our sense to the appointment of a king in the last days. And our religious, civil, and political salvation depends on that thing. So a future establishment of a kingdom with a king. And that's the king, this my servant David, that we looked at last time. And how about this? Shortly after that. Elder Adams spoke of some things he had thought of during the day. He would like to have a king to reign in righteousness, and inasmuch as our president is proclaimed prophet, priest, and king, he is ready when the time comes to go and tell the news to 10,000 people. The English of that sentence is not super modern, so let me help break it down. He says, He would like to have a king to reign in righteousness, and in as much as our present meaning he would like to have a king to reign righteousness, and he would like to have a king in as much as Joseph is proclaimed prophet, priest, and king. Meaning, he likes the idea of our prophet, priest, and king Joseph being that king, to rule over that kingdom in the last days. So we have here these testimonies of these brethren from this ministry, and again this is 11th april 1844 from the council of 50. so joseph not only knew who he was but his a lot of his contemporaries knew who he was but uh, it was not a foregone conclusion that it would have to include uh, a second, a second trip, a second mission, a second uh, ministry, and that was something that was something that became apparent to Joseph at the end. And as we read last time, which we're going to read again from Parley P. Pratt. So upon hearing of the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, Barley P. Pratt has this experience. So I'll share my screen. This one's not on the slide. So here it is again. So he was he was in Wisconsin, according to this account anyway, when he received the devastating news that Joseph and Hiram had been murdered at Carthage. Shocked and stunned, he immediately returned home to Nauvoo, Walking the last 100 miles from Peoria, Illinois, to Nauvoo, he was completely overwhelmed as to what advice he should give the saints when he arrived. He later described the depth of his emotional turmoil. I walked onward way down as if it were unto death. When I can endure it no longer, I cried out out aloud saying, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray thee, show me what these things mean, and what shall I say to thy people? Okay. That phrase what do these things mean makes a little bit more sense when you understand that a lot of these men assumed or viewed or thought that Joseph would bring this stuff to pass so it's like well how how am i gonna how am i gonna understand this how am i gonna explain this to any of the saints suddenly the spirit of god came upon me and filled my heart with joy and gladness indescribable and while the spirit of revelation glowed in my bosom with as visible a warmth and gladness as if it were fire the spirit said unto me lift up your head and rejoice for behold it is well with my servants joseph and hiram my servant joseph still holds the keys of my kingdom in this dispensation and he shall stand in due time on the earth in the flesh and fulfill that to which he is appointed Parley was so astonished at this message that he asked the Lord to repeat it, which he did. When Parley arrived to Nauvoo, he told all of his friends of this delightful news, and he even taught it to the saints in several church meetings. Now, we then we looked at a series of scriptures here that talked about how Joseph is the one that has the keys uh, to bring all this stuff to pass, the setting up of this kingdom, etc. Uh, that Parley's talking about, that he still holds the keys. And we also read that quote from Lyman White. So we have these testimonies, we have all these evidences, and when you pile them all together, considering all of the context, putting them in the end times, all of them linking to each other, it's to me it becomes pretty clear that it's pointing to that there will be a servant in the hands of God to bring this work about. And so let's look at. One more time, Doctrine and Covenants section one thirteen, and then we're going to look at, then we're going to look at something else real briefly uh, to close. So here's section one thirteen, Q and A, verse three. What is the rod spoken of in? first verse chapter 11 that should come of the stem of jesse behold thus saith the lord it is a servant in the hands of christ who is partly a descendant of jesse as well as ephraim or the house of joseph on whom there is laid much power now verse five and six what is the root of jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of 11 chapter behold thus saith the lord it is a descendant of jesse as well as joseph under whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom, for an ensign and for the gathering of people in the last days. Both of those verses describe this same person. Now, some people uh, reading those say, oh, well, the Lord must be talking about two different people because the Lord doesn't come out and say it's two different people. No, the context alone in those three verses sh- should be clear enough that it is or at least can be the same person. At least we can admit that. But with all of these scriptures together, the end time servant is descendant of Jesse, as well as Ephraim Joseph and on whom there has laid much power. And the end time servant is also the one to whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom to be an ensign or a standard for the gathering of my people in the last days. It's all talking about the same person. And Abraham Gilead even mentions that, that uh, verses four and six uh, or rather That's verses 4 and 6. Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 10, which is what these questions are about, are both referring to the end-time servant. So so when you look at that, keep that into consideration. Uh, Now, to to wrap up, again, there's a lot more. So I encourage you to to dive into the subject. There's so much to be learned and studied. But there was some question last week when we were talking about Elias, um, and there's not enough time to deeply go into that. So that could be uh, for our next session. But I do want to just point out briefly, and I I guess this is just to kind of whet the appetite, so to speak. But we're going to look to Dr. Cummins, section 77, which was made reference last time because we talked about Joseph being the Elias to come and restore all things. And yet we looked at DNC uh 77, as was mentioned right here towards the end. Verse 14 question: What are we to understand by the little book eaten by John mentioned in uh, Revelation 10? Answer: We're to understand that it was a mission and ordinance for him, John, to gather the tribes of Israel. Behold, this is Elias, who has written us to come and restore all things. I'm like, wait a minute. But we uh, through the other context that we read, it sounded like it was Joseph. Well, the answer is yes, it's both. We're, and there's not enough time to dive into it right now. But just to help ease those who are like, but there's this contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's both. And uh, Joseph in his discourse, the spirit of Elias, the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of Messiah, he shows that a little bit, and other scriptures help show that too, where they work in tandem. They are both end-time servants. There there will be lots of end-time servants, uh, rather servants of the Lord, but the end-time servant, which is the Davidic servant or my servant David, there's only one of, and that it is not John. John restores all things to Joseph, and Joseph restores all things uh, to the rest of the earth or the rest of the world. And they work in tandem as Joseph helps bring the Lord's people back under covenant into the terrestrial order of the gospel to receive the baptism of fire and mm-hmm. Holy Ghost. And then John works with them to help them ascend another level higher to the celestial level to the church of the firstborn, etc. And that stuff uh, can be explored in more detail later. But I wanted to answer that since that was brought up last time. However, to answer it fully, uh, there's a lot more scriptures we can pull in from last time, plus other scriptures and the full discourse. Uh, which is uh, worthy of a, of a good long look. So that's all we have for tonight. So we are going to look at uh, whatever questions you have, um, discussion, etc. Jacob will be helping to moderate uh, for anyone that wants to submit any questions anonymously. You know, don't feel like you have to come on here and speak if you want to. No big deal, because uh, he'll happily read them. Or if you want to jump on and ask. Um, or if anyone has any uh, thoughts or comments, please feel free to chime in. Just remember to try and keep your comments to to a few minutes each, uh, et cetera. So uh, Jacob, what do we got?
2: So a few things came up, uh, mainly in the way of references. I want to put in one more plug for anybody that does have questions. Type them inside of there because maybe people have a similar kind of questions. Let me go ahead and grab a couple of the ones that I wrote down. Some of the reoccurring ones just had to do re- references when you were about to pull your screen up again. So let me go ahead and ask you, Dustin Grady, will you be able to make a link to this deck available when this is uh, in podcast format as well as up on the Doctrine of Christ website? Uh, so
0: is your question, is that is that
2: PowerPoint going yes, you... to be
0: available? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I will be handing that over to mark and he'll upload that and then the uh video version will also be um linked there and on my youtube account as well and one that did
2: one other question that did come up that may be worth fleshing out a little bit if you can dustin regarding raising up whether that means being born again as an infant matures to become a servant not just coming back as a as an adult ready to get going
0: short answer yes it means raising up uh from infant to adulthood. That's the short answer. Yes, it means that
2: super duper. And uh, I noticed that inside of the chat, people put a reference to where others can, can research more regarding the the concept of multiple mortal probations, which is not a term that was used during the days of Joseph Smith. I don't think there was necessarily the, the easily available vernacular to understand that principle.
0: So listen, let's uh, yeah. And it's worthy of a little bit of attention, but it's, First of all, it's a big can of worms to just like open up, right? And it also might be a strange notion. So I think first and foremost, uh, and I I think I mentioned this last time. I think first and foremost, it's important to say, look, God has the right and the power to do whatever He wants to bring to pass His purposes. If He appointed Joseph to do all things uh that were that we've listed and Joseph didn't finish them and God still intends for him to do it then the way God brings that about is God's business so i just want to I just want to say that first and foremost so that we aren't the ones playing God and saying God can't do that well first of all I'm not anyone to tell what God can or can't do I don't even know his ways are higher than my ways his thoughts are higher than my thoughts interestingly that's also in Isaiah 55. Eight to nine, so <laughs> which are which comes right out of that those servant chapters, that section right there. <laughs> Interestingly enough, so that concept is really important to remember. Uh, secondly, there are little hints at the idea that uh, the children of Israel understood the concept of someone coming back again, and it is most clearly seen. When people are coming to John the Baptist, and we read some of these last time, when they come to John the Baptist and when they come to Jesus of Nazareth and they ask him, Are you fill in the blank? Come back? Are you Elijah? Come back? Are you they wouldn't ask that if they didn't even have the inkling or notion that such a thing could be possible? Okay. So I just wanted to point that out. And then um, as far as all the other stuff, it it, it is obs- it is an obscure notion because there's not a lot of direct stuff. However, if you want the most direct statement from Joseph Smith, go to the King Follett discourse. The King Follett discourse has a couple of uh, sentences, real gems that point to some of the stuff. Well, actually, I guess I should just Uh, read those couple of, because it's just a couple, it'll take you longer to find it because the King Fault Discourse is uh, longer, isn't it? So here they are. Well, might as well let you follow along with me, huh? So let me pull them up here instead on the screen and then you can follow along. So I'm not just talking head reading them to you. Now I did see that someone shared in the chat a resource uh, and that's got uh, more compiled stuff so here is king fault discourse i'm gonna let me blow this up a little bigger okay the words joseph smith king fault discourse point to the doctrine of eternal lives which is probably a little bit more uh, 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 our vernacular from the scriptures etc the doctrine of eternal lives and, and from the temple even And the true nature of eternal progression. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man, sits on throne and yonder heavens. That is the great secret. Look at that. (laughs) Joseph Smith, at the end of his life, doesn't use phrases like this benignly. That is the great secret. Just think about that. Just let that sink in for a second. I know half of you are already reading on. That's the great secret, that God himself was we are now. What does that mean? Well, later on in the the discourse, it is necessary. We should understand the character and being of God and how he came to be so, bold, underline, italicized. And then, for I am going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined And supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea. So you're welcome to disagree with that. But just understand that you're disagreeing with Joseph Smith. And that's okay. You can disagree with him. And take away the veil so that you may see. So he's already saying that it's hidden from us. You see this right here? This means that it's hidden from us. Right here, I want to stop and interject that Alma makes very clear in Alma chapter twelve, and lots of times throughout the scriptures, Jesus makes clear, in other prophets, that that higher knowledge than we're when we are at is concealed from us. And Joseph right here is stating that that is that's those are considered bails. You have celestial knowledge, which is concealed from those who are terrestrial. You have terrestrial knowledge that is concealed from those who are celestial. That is an eternal truth. Doctrine and Covenants section 88 also points that out. And Joseph is saying that clearly here. These are incomprehensible ideas to some, not just in his day, but in ours. But they are simple. It is simple, even though it seems radical. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for certi- certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one as one man converses with another and that he and that he was once a man like us. Look at that. So Joseph here is saying that's the very first principle to know this. To three it's a three part. To know for certainty the character of God. Two, to know that we can converse with him. Just Like one person to another. And three, that he was once a man like us. He says like us. A lot of people say, oh, well, he was once like like a savior saving another planet, first of all, which it still opens the same can of worms, even if you say that. But Joseph said he was like us. Okay, going back. I'm just pausing for a fact. I want you to think about it. I want it to sink in. Look at this. Here then is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God. He's this is the great secret. Jesus said it in John 17. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ who thou sent. To know in every sense, to know perfectly the character of God. First of all, to know that we can talk to him. Just like I'm talking to you guys, just like you talk to me and to understand that he was just like us eternal progression doctrine of eternal life continuing and you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves is he not making it clear you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to god the same as all gods have done before you and namely he's going to say how namely by going from one small degree to another And from a small capacity to a great one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you attain to the resurrection of the dead. That resurrection, which is the resurrection that Christ attained unto, which is to go no more out. And are able to dwell in everlasting burnings and to sit in glory, as do those who sit in throne and everlasting power. Here's another words. You've got to learn how to be God's yourself, namely by going from one state of probation to another, getting, enlarging our degree, enlarging our grace, enlarging our glory, little by little, line upon line. You have to go through states of probation. You have to prove it. That's the doctrine of eternal lives. How about just looking at an example of this phraseology from, uh, as quoted in history of the church. And then, again, there's there's more sources. And that, that link that was posted gives more sources. So you can look upon it, pray about it, ponder it. Don't take my word for it. We're just trying to show some things. Okay, respecting Melchizedek priesthood, the sectarians never professed to have it. Consequently, they, this is Joseph Smith. They never could save anyone, and would all be damned together. He just spoke so, oh, bluntly, and oh man, and so he just he just constantly spoke of damnation. <laughs> uh, there was an Episcopalian priest who said he had the priesthood of Aaron, but had not the priesthood of Melchizedek. And I bear this testimony that I never have found the man who claimed the priesthood of Melchizedek. The power of the Mechizedek priesthood is to have the power of Endless lives. Look at that. Plural. For the everlasting covenant cannot be broken. What is the and then uh, skipped on later? That's what the ellipses. What is the power of Melchizedek? Twas not the priesthood of Aaron which administers in outward ordinances and offering sacrifices. Those holding the fullness of Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests to the most high God, holding the keys of power and blessings. In fact, that priesthood is a perfect law of theocracy. And stands as God to give laws to the people, administering, administering or giving endless lives to the sons and daughters of Adam. Endless lives to the sons and daughters of Adam. Um, if you if you uh, are interested in not only understanding Isaiah a little more clearly in terms of the end times and the, what the prophecy is all about, but also this idea of eternal progression, Avraham Gileadi unfolds how Isaiah actually weaves the doctrine of eternal progression into the entire book of Isaiah, into his end time vision of all of this stuff happening. Isaiah weaves this stuff in there, but you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Avraham helps show that so you can go into Isaiah and unlock and discover it for yourself. And he calls it the, the seven layers or levels of progression or this ladder to heaven. Similar to the ladder that Jacob saw when he wrestled with an angel and had that marvelous vision, and saw angels ascending and descending down this ladder, this ladder to heaven, this series of progression that requires uh, many, 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 many times from going from one grace to another. Just like Joseph says, those we have in Doctrine and Covenants, whatever level of intelligence. And then just like uh, Amulek says in Alma 34, whatever level of character we attain to in this life we take with us and the more you develop in this life Joseph says the advantage how much more the advantage you have in the world to come okay so that idea having an advantage what does he mean well that that makes a lot of sense in the context of well you come back just like Alma 13 says these brethren start on the same level, but the ones acted in a lot greater faith than their brethren. So they come back with a greater opportunity. Those two scriptures go hand in hand. So anyway, that was that was a shorter version for addressing that question.
2: Dustin, can I ask where? So, so I have the Kink Ballot book right here. Where where can I find that? Does it have a page? number
0: well no because are you referring to the um are you referring to which uh which but the one with the red cover yes yes so though this those ones that i pulled out are taken out of the one that's found in the history of the church um and the so where they are in that amalgamation that you have i'm not exactly certain However, the fastest way to find those sections um, out of *History of the Church* would be digitally through the Joseph Smith Papers Project. So, when um, so I can uh, make those available so that you can just copy and paste and look for those phrases. That was, I think it was three different three different paragraphs in the sermon uh, okay. where he said that. And that's the fastest way to get it. I, I, yeah, I don't know. And then then from there you could find where they show up in the book version that, that you have. Okay. Awesome. Justin. Jacob, what else?
2: So I'm going to open it up. I see there was a number of things that happened. Um, and some of the conversation took place inside of the chat. So I think it's appropriate to open it up. If somebody has a lingering question, just want to put in one more reference uh Keep it a question. Sometimes there is the tendency to give a long narrative. I don't think anybody here is going to do that, but I'm just putting out my friendly warning. Questions that are lingering, let me open it up to those because it looked like there's some satisfactory answers in the chat for those interested.
1: Sorry, so oh, oh, yeah, so go ahead. Okay. Aaron here. Um, So I've heard that, uh, jo- well, the higher power, Is the Holy Ghost like like, I'm sorry, the higher self? Our higher self is the Holy Ghost, and that aligns with what Lectures of Faith teaches about the Holy Ghost being the the mind of Heavenly Father, and I think it's called the Father and the Son, if I remember right. And I was just curious, how does that? I mean, how how does that align with Joseph Smith being the Holy Ghost? Well, first
0: of all, first of all, that doctrine is not exactly accurate, so we got to be careful when we're looking at Lectures on Faith. lectures on faith was, is not 100% accurate in its doctrinal teaching. It comes a lot from Sidney Rigdon's uh, influence and background. Uh, and Joseph clarifies very clearly in his journal the, the idea that the Holy Ghost is a spirit of personage, but he, in his journal he clarifies that that um, that it doesn't dwell in our hearts though because he is a person of spirit. So uh so that's 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 a, that is a false notion. Um the holy ghost is a person. In fact, the holy ghost is an office and an assignment and there are and the lord employs uh, many many uh angels to 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 do the work and then there's the one head in charge of it. And so when Joseph was on the earth, he's not acting in that capacity, obviously. And, and as mentioned, he wasn't necessarily, because I, 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 I don't know, but in terms, of, in terms of the scriptural references that point to him being that person uh, in Isaiah, like we looked at, for example, uh, doesn't necessarily say that he was always in that capacity. We've assumed that because uh, is a member of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost. But uh, the mysteries of godliness are greater than our minds. So to consider that, oh, well, it, it's, it, is, it, is, an, it is a calling, it is an office that one can officiate in. That means multiple people could do it. Who's to say that God can't simply appoint someone else to do it? Just like we change callings in church. He's the bishop. Oh, he's always the bishop. From the time he's a bishop till he dies, he will be the bishop of that ward. Like, well, that's not how it works. You release him and call someone else. Does that make sense? So uh, that's a short answer.
1: So, uh, so to, to add to that question, so the lectures of faith—what was that? Up? I know that was put in the original doctrine. Was that put in the doctrine of covenants? Was that something that Joseph Smith approved? Or like, I'm just curious, how did that get in there if it wasn't necessarily correct doctrine? You know,
0: you ask a really good question. There were lots of things uh, that that, as we look at documents, etc., that uh, that were that were hairy. <laughs> That happened. Um uh, jo- Joseph was not always involved in all of the minutiae. Oliver Cowdery and Sidney Rigdon were the ones that largely oversaw the publication of the Book of Commandments and then edition one of Doctrine and Covenants. So Sidney Rigdon was over that. Um so uh so even though even though it happened doesn't necessarily mean that. That it had Joseph's complete, hundred percent stamp of approval, um, and, and but that's something that's something that can't necessarily be proven without beyond a shadow of a doubt. However, there are enough other scriptures to to show that, and other statements to show that 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 concept of the Holy Ghost and lectures on faith is not. Uh, is not true. I mean, just, I mean, if we just took Joseph Smith's quote that we just looked at, assuming that it's an accurate reference from Franklin D. Richards, you know, assuming that it is, because he wrote it down. uh, Then, then Joseph said, well, the Holy ghost is now in a state of probation. Well, after already proving what state of probation means, then that means it has to be a being has to, there's no other option. It can't you know the Holy Ghost cannot be in a state of probation, in other words, a mortality without being a being? Otherwise, it just doesn't work any other way. But again, that's assuming that that's accurate, which I believe so because it matches uh, the rest of the doctrine and scriptures.
1: So, well, also, it, it could be said that if your higher self, if you're in a state of probation, then that's the Holy Ghost in a state of probation, um, as well. So, I mean, that could be a way to look at it, I you know, I guess. Uh,
0: on that. Book. Well, that that's what I was mentioning earlier. What does state of probation mean? I argued and was trying to show through the scriptures that in a scriptural term it only means one thing ever, and that is a mortality. So so but the word probation, we have a lot broader sense of the word. So if you apply that meaning to it, then it could have a different meaning. So that that work can become tricky. So I'm I'm gonna let you, the listener, decide what that means i've tried to provide enough evidence to show you uh what i think it means and the reasons behind that um but you know is it is it definitive and i believe so just because of uh the patterns i see throughout all of scripture the way that god teaches and to see how smart joseph was spiritually that he knew better than to use a phrase out of the context of which that phrase is always used it wouldn't it would just be confusing because it's like well, what are you saying You know, what, what, why, why would you say that if it's so obscure, like state of probation? Meaning, no, he meant state of probation like the way every scripture means state of probation. There's no other, there's no other term in scripture that uses state of probation that doesn't mean passing through immortality.
1: Right. I'm, I'm just saying that like everybody is passing through immortality. So to be, you know, always, always in a state of probation.
0: Right. Well, and the, the words of the quote is saying that that he isn't always in a state of probation. That the Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation. Which, if he passes, so first of all, he's referring to him as a person. Which, if he passes, he will go through a course just like the Son of Man. Um, so, so he's so he's giving him he's giving him personal pronouns. So, so
1: again, so I think I think
0: to 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 change that context is where you start to rest uh the scriptures so to speak because then you then you are changing what he said because he's referring to a person i, I uh, see it see I mean. makes sense yeah that, i think that's an excellent question and, and worth worth listening to um yeah mark you had a question you want to repeat your question because i think it got went up in the chat you said something about references about something Talking to me? Yeah, you you typed a good question there about references to some.
1: Did I? If I did, I don't remember.
0: Was it references to the resurrection of Joseph Smith or something like
1: that? Uh, Somebody else had had brought up um, the idea, and I've heard this from from several sources, dozens, that the idea that Joseph coming back as a resurrected being rather than um, another tabernacled mortal, right? Have you come across anything regarding... A resurrection versus immortality—that you can shed light on.
0: Yes, I'd be happy to share
1: those. Um,
0: yeah, happy to share those. So I have those here. I'm going to pull those up. Uh, I didn't include them in the presentation because I found them inconsistent with everything else. Not to mention they came later. Um, they came from Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball. Um, so, but they're worth—they're worth mentioning because they do definitely point to the idea of Joseph coming back, which is worth a look. And it's and from and there, yeah. Well, I'll just we'll just read them. Worth looking at. Worth considering all the evidence. So here's Brigham Young. Let's make this text a little bigger. Joseph Smith Jr. will again be on this earth dictating plans. And he will never cease his operations under the directions of the son of God until the last ones of the children of men are saved. That can be from Adam till now. Okay. And again, from Brigham Young, make that a little bigger. There is an almighty work to perform in the spirit world. Joseph has not yet got through there. When he finishes his mission in the spirit world, he will be resurrected, but he has not done, but he has not yet done there. When his spirit again quickens his body, he will ascend to heaven present his resurrected body to the Father and the Son, receive his commission as a resurrected being and visit his brethren on this earth as did Jesus after his resurrection. Did he already do that? Is he going to do that again? Is that accurate, what he said? I believe there might be some truth to that. might be some error to it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, No, that doesn't point to it. Okay, jumping to Hebrew C. Kimball. Let's enlarge that. I'm pretty sure of one thing. We shall go to Jackson County, Missouri. That is those who do right and honor their callings doing what they have been told to do. You will be blessed and you will see the day when Presidents Young, Kimball, and Wells and the Twelve Apostles will be in Jackson County, Missouri, laying out your inheritances. In the flesh, of course, we should look well without being in the flesh. We shall be there in the flesh and all our enemies cannot prevent it. Brother Wells, you may write that. You will be there and Willard Richards will be there and also Jedediah Grant and Joseph and Hiram Smith. The day will be when I will see those men in the general assembly of the church of the firstborn in the great council of God in Jerusalem, too. Will we want you to be along? I heard Joseph say twice that Brother Brigham and I should be in that council in Jerusalem when there should be a uniting of the two divisions of God's government. So he is referring to the end times there in that quote. Um, here is another one. He will see Kimball. persecution comes next and all true latter-day saints will be tested to the limit many will apostatize and others will will be still not knowing what to do darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the minds of the people the judgments of god will be poured out on the wicked to the extent that our elders from far and near will be called home or in other words the gospel will be taken from the gentiles and later on carried to the jews western boundary of the state of missouri will be swept so clean of its inhabitants That as President Young tells us, when you return to that place, there will not be left so much as a yellow dog to wag his tail. Before that day comes, however, the saints will be put to a test that will try the integrity of the best of them. The pressure will become so great that the more righteous among them will cry unto the Lord day and night until deliverance comes. Then the prophet Joseph and others will make their appearance. And those who have remained faithful will be selected to return to Jackson County, Missouri, and take part in the building of that beautiful city, the New Jerusalem. Um, the, this is Joe. we're gonna read that one. So, there are some quotes that don't necessarily directly uh say it, other than that one, brigham one, but they they kind of seem to hint at it at least. So, so that one, uh, or though those quotes, you know, look into them, take them with the grain of salt. I, I, uh, I'm not as certain about the entirety of everything that all those quotes said being 100% accurate, but.
1: Okay, cool, thank you, appreciate it.
0: Anybody else? Any comments or questions?
2: May I ask a question? Josh, hi. Um, hi. So I posted in the chat just about helping me understand if the servant's name is Joseph for David.
0: Great question. We talked about that last time for sure.
2: And we got a few responses. Just you know that it's it's not super important to know. Um, but so what are your they, what are your thoughts?
0: So we looked last time at several references that says my servant david huh. and then we looked at and i'll pull it up again here this quote from joseph himself okay here it is let me share the screen this is from the uh, discourse that we will probably go into next time which is about the spirit of elias spirit of elijah and spirit of messiah which can be found in the history of the church um at least one of the versions because there's a couple of recorded versions of that same discourse and they all can be found on the Joseph Smith papers um so here we have although david was a king he never did obtain the spirit and power of elijah fullness of the priesthood and the priesthood he received and the throne and kingdom of david is to be taken from him and given to another by the name of David in the last days, raised up out of his lineage. And Orson Hyde seemed to understand the same idea because he basically using this terminology in the dedicatory prayer for the line of Israel um, Raise up Jerusalem as his capital, constitute her people a distinct nation and government with David, thy servant, even a descendant from the lines of ancient David, to be their king. And so they're getting that from uh, these other. Uh, scriptures, which um, here's kind of a list of them. Let's see where they where they go up here. Yeah, these are just a whole bunch of these scriptures that talk about uh, my servant David or David the servant all throughout here. Isaiah, etc., Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Hosea. So seems to indicate that his name will be David. Um, although uh, some have argued that because of the prophecy of uh, Joseph of Egypt, that his name would still be Joseph somehow. Um, but uh, it, but it even seems like Joseph said his name would be David, so it does look like his name would be David. Interesting. Here's just an interesting uh, notion that that uh, staying on this idea that it's uh, the same spirit being that's Joseph Smith, because obviously that's not his heavenly name, right? My name name's dustin grady but those of us that you know we understand that that probably wasn't my name before coming here right so that person that is joseph smith um he's fulfilling in coming in you know 1805 when he's born he's fulfilling this prophecy to be named after joseph of egypt He's from that direct lineage, but he's also from the lineage of Jesse. And if you read reading Jesus the Christ, there, there are some correlations to show that he's also a direct, not just of Jesse, but exactly Jesse through Jesus's line, a direct descendant of Jesus himself. Uh, so from from Doctrine and Covenants and other scriptures, like section 113 that we just read, this end time servant will also be a descendant of both, again, Jesse or Jesus Christ and Joseph Ephraim again, so having basically the same lineage. So it just, as far as his name goes, there would be kind of this wholeness or completeness to him having a name Joseph tied to the lineage of Joseph, and then having a name David tied to the lineage of David. Uh, there would there would be a wholeness and completeness to that pattern. That's just out of my own head, though. I'm just um, showing that Joseph a descendant of Jesse. Also, yes. Joseph uh, Smith, Jr., um, through his mother, Lucy Mack, was a descendant of Jesse, and through his father, Joseph Smith, Sr., was a descendant of Ephraim. And the end time servant, the Davidic servant, will be a descendant of both. Also, it says primarily a descendant of Jesse and also a descendant of Joseph Ephraim. So anyway, that that was just something out of my own head, but but it 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 made sense, and I didn't just pull it out of thin air. I was pondering all these questions, kind of like kind of like you're asking there. So, really good question. It Seems like his name will be David. Thank Maybe you. David might be in his name too. Yeah. No. Definitely. And and I welcome all the the thoughts on the matter. Um, and I I still leave for consideration that there is zero scriptural reference to state of probation that does not equal a mortality or a mortal state. There is not one. I I posted them all on the slideshow. So I'll uh, phone them up again. Those are, those references are First Nephi 10, First Nephi 15, Second Nephi 2, Second Nephi 9, Second Nephi 33. Let's share those here on the screen again for anyone that can see or would like to see. Um, Second Nephi 9, Second Nephi 33, Alma 12, Alma 42, uh, Helaman 13, Mormon 9, D&C 29, and then I included Abraham 3:25, which says, "We will prove them now herewith." Prove uh, literally means um, this idea of probation comes from the same Latin-based word, which is prove. So you'll see probate. Um, and this this to prove is to test. So we'll prove them now herewith. We'll test them now herewith. Herewith, meaning in this mortality, to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord, their God, their God shall command them. So I included that one, even though it doesn't use the term probation or probationary state. But, but uh, there's not any other scriptures that uses the, word probation or probationary in all scriptures now you might see the idea but but the word there comes out of those so so my um my suggestion or insistence is that when joseph said state of probation he meant it in the exact way that it is used in all of scripture and and that to say that it means something else uh, while it has the has really good explanation and plausibility argument etc., it does have that. What it does lack is it lacks the consistency of context that uh, exists when you keep it tied to the way it's used in all of Scripture. And Joseph, by 1833 or 43 and 1844, he knows that. He knows that really well. So it, it for me personally, it's just a little bit of a stretch to say he's using that term. In a little bit more obscure context than it's been used every single time in Scripture, even even though those arguments have a lot of, you know, a good merit to them, uh, I just want to keep that idea present in your minds that that nowhere in Scripture does that mean anything else other than immortality. So, uh, now any other questions? Oh, Steve, good question there. Uh, no, we haven't. Uh, if if we get into a part three, which is undetermined yet, um, I wanted to be able to do that. Uh, so Steve's bringing this idea that in Jewish prophecy, there's a Messiah ben David and a Messiah ben Joseph. Um, speaking of a second Messiah in the last days, I, I will comment briefly on it. Um, uh, the reason why I didn't I wanted to present tonight, but first of all, I already had too much um, material, didn't want to go too long. And secondly, needed to uh, answer, I had a couple more lingering questions, and I don't um, like to present something unless I, I get to the bottom of the questions a little bit. I mean, it's okay that I still have questions, but I want to solve enough of it. So I will mention that not only does is there this idea that there's this prophecy, uh, but, but um it's important to realize when we hear the term Messiah, as these Jewish prophecies have Messiah ben Joseph, which is son of Joseph or descendant of Joseph, Messiah, Messiah ben David, son of David or descendant of David, uh, it's important to understand that the term Messiah um, is not just necessarily referring to the ultimate Messiah, which is Jesus Christ, um, which Messiah means the anointed one. So he's anointed and appointed to a specific purpose of saving god's children well jesus is that one to ultimately save us spiritually um but moses was a type he was a messiah but a temporal messiah to bring us to physical salvation and then a spiritual messiah in the sense that he was trying to bring the children of israel to christ who could spiritually save them and joseph smith or the Davidic servant uh, in the last days would also be that type of Messiah, just like Moses was, to temporarily save God's people. So anointed and appointed to save God's people temporally, and then to help save them spiritually by bringing them to the true Messiah. And Jesus points that out in 3 Nephi 21, which we read last week, uh, verses, I think, 9 through 11. Where Jesus makes really clear, whoever doesn't listen to Thy servant that day to the words that I shall give him will be cut off from among My people. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's an interesting connection there. How the Jews, when Jesus showed up, didn't recognize Him because they were thinking of this Messiah Ben David to be the, like this Davidic servant who would temporarily save them, and Jesus wasn't there to do that. So they recognized that they were in bondage. They saw the they saw the pattern. They recognized that they needed a warrior to to smite the armies with the breath of his mouth, just like Isaiah says he would. They recognized this Messiah Ben David idea and didn't see that Christ was the spiritual Messiah to save them. Well, interestingly, I'll just make a side note. Doctrine Covenants 52 verse 14, as some of you might be familiar with, God says, I will give you a pattern in all things. Or Satan goeth about you know the nations of the earth, uh, of, of the earth deceiving everybody. I mean that's not an exact quote, but that's about giving a pattern in all things. Well, that pattern will definitely repeat itself at the end where the Lord's people, us will be looking for the Messiah that we're already familiar with, Jesus Christ, to just show up again. And to just, boom, appear, and we're all good, and we're saved, and everything's fine, easy-peasy, nice and easy, you know, whatever. When really, the Elias, the forerunner, the Messiah Ben David is going to come first to recognize, sorry, to to save us temporally, but we won't recognize him as a whole. People will, but as a whole, we won't recognize him, just like the Lord's people didn't recognize the, the Messiah Jesus Christ at the time that he was there as a whole, didn't recognize him. His people as a whole didn't recognize him. They rejected him. Uh, Only those who had eyes to see and ears to hear recognized him as the prophesied one. So for whatever reason, that Messiah, the true Messiah was obscure to them. But this other Messiah was plain. Well, the last shall be first, the first shall be left. Everything will come again. It'll be flip-flopped. The same will be for the Lord's people this day. We already have for many decades uh, Latter-day Saints blatantly saying, no, there is no Davidic servant, it is Jesus Christ himself, there's no one else, no one else to be looking for, nothing to see here, um, even some church manuals and other church quotes have said that, but but there's a, there's a battle, because there's a lot of other people that do have a lot of scholastic or academic scriptural clout to say, well, no, it's very clear, it's right there, uh, both in and out, inside and outside of the church. Uh, and hopefully from last week and this week, we provided enough evidence to at least plant uh, the seed of the idea that mm, if you once thought there was no way that there was a servant that was going to come that wasn't Jesus Christ, but hopefully now you're saying, well, it looks like there probably is, or at least a good enough argument that I should be considering it, you know, because I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm not saying anything like that, but hopefully Provided some stuff. So anyway, that does a long drawn out thing, but there, there's a lot to look at in those prophecies and a lot to learn from them in terms of just that pattern of are we gonna recognize this person? Um, Isaiah says we're not gonna recognize him as a whole, just as an example. So, anywho. Oh, Steve, I believe Messiah Ben Joseph is the same as a Davidic servant, they're one and the same oh yeah and that might be this that might be the case so i that's that was one of the things i needed to clarify from the from the jewish uh, tradition and prophecies is which one was supposed to be referring to which one uh so yes thank you for that thank you um joshua just stumbled on dns 52 yeah and, and that by the way 52 verse 14 that i just quoted um needs to be remembered that he says, I give unto you a pattern in all things. So every time, especially as these end times approach and we start thinking of stuff, go back to that and apply it to that because it can apply on so many different levels and it needs to be applied on so many different levels because God says in all things. So I personally can't think of a category that doesn't fall under the all things category. Right. So then uh, and, and that there's so many ways in which that can be applied and, and it deserves that God's trying to give us a key to greater knowledge there. So thanks for that. Yeah. Any, any other questions, comments? Did I miss any others? Jacob, were there any others? Did we lose Jacob? Jacob, are you there? Or anyone else want to chime in? not. Oh, I, by the way, I saw the interesting comment here. Is chastening salvation? Uh, yeah, being made chaste is redemption. Uh the Lord chastens whom he loves, right? And if he loves you, then that's kind of showing this um this relationship of of being redeemed, or at least on the path to being redeemed, right? It's interesting correlation there, really good. And in fact, that pattern, showing you the pattern in all things, when we talked about 2 Nephi 3, verse 9, the distinction 9 and 10, the distinction between my people versus thy people, the Lord speaking, uh, that different, that difference and the the pattern to show that can be found in Mosiah when Alma the elder and his people. Uh, go under chastening. They submit themselves to the Lord's will. They enter into that covenant with Him. They, through that, through that righteousness and through that covenant, qualify for deliverance. So then the Lord delivers them. Limhi, meanwhile, in the land of Nephi with his people, he's the son of Noah, King Noah. Uh, they have a hard heart, and they they have to undergo much greater chastening, to be humbled and humiliated, and lots of them even destroyed, unfortunately. Until they finally submit to God's will and humble themselves and enter into that covenant, and by so doing, uh, soon after, qualify for deliverance from destruction, and then they're let out. That is also a type and shadow for this same scenario that, as God says, this seer shall be great like unto Moses to deliver my people, O house of Israel.